My name is Jamie Atkinson, founder of podcastclosing.com, and this show is built for six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts who are looking to grow and scale their customer acquisition using that show. If you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast and you want to get featured on this show to talk about your own podcast journey, go to top100interview.com. Now over to your glamorous host, Brittany Chaterbock, and don't forget to subscribe for daily interview content. Hey everyone, we're back to the Six Figure Podcast Rebels. Britt here again today. We have a super amazing guest on today who's doing something that we actually haven't talked about on any of the other interviews yet, which is really exciting. Tan Pham is the host of the Productivity Show. He's also the CEO of Asian Efficiency, which is one of the leading productivity training companies. There, they help people become more productive at work. They've helped over 15,000 clients all over the world live a productive life through their online courses, programs, and workshops. Tan, thanks so much for making the time to jump on today. You know, I really appreciate it. We haven't had, you know, a conversation with um, a business owner with this kind of business. So I'm really excited today to get into it. How's it going? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Brittany. I'm uh, excited to talk about the podcast side of things, the business side of things, and uh, sharing some insights that I've learned from growing my podcast and business that will hopefully impact others here as well today. Absolutely. Likewise, likewise. So, you know, we're going to have great conversation, like you said, with about talking about the podcast and the business. So that'll be exciting. And we'll have some great takeaways. But before we jump into that, you know, before we get started, can we go a little further back and, you know, tell us a bit of your story and tell us, uh, you know, how this all came into play, how you got to where you are right now, because I think I think it's a really powerful message to those who are listening. Oh, thank you. Yeah. When people meet me nowadays, they think that because I have this big podcast and business and that I'm living pretty productively, that I've always been this way. Uh, but also, it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, my parents were both refugees from uh, Vietnam, and they independently left the country on boats, ended up in the Philippines, which is like a four-day trek when you're on the water. And uh, they met each other at a refugee camp. And they met each other there. They started dating there. They got married inside of a refugee refugee camp. They were there for three years. And then my mom got pregnant with me. And then I was born inside of a refugee camp. And so I was about maybe five or six months old when we ended up immigrating to the Netherlands. So I actually grew up in a really small town about an hour outside of Amsterdam. And so I have like a Dutch passport. I speak Dutch. I was there until I was 18. Like I spent most of my life there. And I was still go back, even though I live in Austin, Texas nowadays, but um, my dream was always to live in the States because when I was six years old, my parents, uh, they were, you know, blue collar workers. Like we arrived in the country with, you know, a diaper bag, a briefcase and a suitcase. And that was it. Like we had to start all the way from the bottom. And so my parents were always working on the farm every single summer to make extra money. And so one uh, summer, they sent me to Los Angeles to come visit my family, my grandparents, my uncles, uh, so that they could, you know, offer me an opportunity to travel when I was, you know, <laughs> six years old by myself. Yeah. But also, they would then have to uh, be able to, they, they would have the opportunity to work all day long on the farm without having to worry about a babysitter and that kind of thing. So it's kind of like a win-win situation in a way. Um, so I got to spend some time with some family in LA. And when I came back, I was like, I want to live in America. This is the place to be. I had such a great time. And, uh, ever since I was six years old as a kid, I made every decision possible to get into the States. So I got my SATs done. I went to a bilingual school, like every decision I ever had to make leading up to living in the States would be done. And so when I was 18, I left to go to school in LA and uh, I was always into personal development and reading books and stuff. Like one of my favorite activities with my mom would always be to go to the library. Uh, and every other week I would go with my dad as well. And I would read books on the encyclopedia of the ocean, the encyclopedia of nature and about planets. And you know, I was always fascinated about learning. And so right. one day I stumbled upon a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure you've heard of. Read it, love it, love it. Yeah. And I was like 12 years old. And I was like, wow, this goes against everything that my parents told me because my parents said, Tan, you have to become a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, 
you know, uh, have like a government job. And if you've read the book, for those who haven't yet, like the main message of the book is, hey, there's a there's a path that a lot of people take uh, where you, you know, take a government security back job or something like traditional, or you go right. the non-traditional path, like the entrepreneurship path. And I felt like I was kind of reading like a banned book almost because it was going against everything my parents said to me. So I was so fascinated by it that I ended up starting my first business when I was uh, 12 years old because uh, I taught myself how to code at that time. And so I started a web development agency when I was 12 years old. And so uh, a fun fact a lot of people don't know is I was one of the first people who created an open source uh, RSS feed reader. So a lot wow. of podcast technology that we use today is based on RSS feeds. Uh, I was one of the first who created an open source code to be able to read an RSS feed like that and like oh my goodness. And so I published it, and that's how I got a lot of my clients to say, "Hey, Tan, like it seems like you wrote this code. Can we hire you for you know some work?" Um, and that's how I got a lot of my clients all over the world. And so uh, I, I ended up getting so many clients that I had to teach my high school buddies to teach them how to code so they could work with me because I didn't know anything about hiring, you know, when I was so young. So I was like, Hey, my best friends, like, let's all learn how to code together and we can build this business or something. So they were in. And so, uh, we had this like cool little business where we were like create web development apps and, uh, and online portals and, and such. And this is back, you know, early two thousands. So it was kind of a fun thing to do. And then when I moved to the States, I ended up you know, selling my business to one of my close friends because back then working remotely was really challenging. Like this, I'm talking like 2005, 2006. So we didn't have like Zoom like this today or right. anything like that. And so having a nine hour time difference was really challenging running a remote business. So I said, you know what? Right. I have to focus on school. Like I'm 18. Uh, this is you know my path moving forward. Uh, this business was fun. But uh, I need to focus on school and I can't do this nine hour difference thing where I'm staying up really late or waking up early every day. Like it was just impossible. Right. So I kind of like after I sold that, I was kind of a little bit lost. And I was like, man, I, what do I do now? Like, OK, I know, I know I need to focus on school, but like I felt something was missing. You know, it was kind of like this void. So I was seeking out like workshops and motivational speakers and such and ended up seeing this guy speak on stage. Uh, and at a free talk in LA. And I was like, wow, this guy is really interesting. He, he was one of the life coaches in uh, Los Angeles that was uh, well sought after. And so after the talk, I walked up to him and said, hey, Nick, um, I was really fascinated and motivated by your talk. Can I take you out for lunch sometime? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So got his number, took him out for lunch. And this is back when, you know, 2007, 2008. So this is when YouTube just started. So right, brand new. having my having my web development agency background, I knew a little bit about SEO and optimizing for search engines. And so when I showed up for the lunch, I had a 20 page report prepared for him to show him how he could optimize his YouTube channel for better SEO. And he was blown away when I showed him this. And he said, Tan, this is really good. Like you should come intern for me and let's implement this stuff. And I said, okay, cool, let's do it. So after school, every single day, I would drive up to West Hollywood on the 101 freeway and spend, you know, two, three hours there uh, and then go home and just implement the stuff that I suggested to him in my report. So we got it done in about two weeks. And then he said, Tan, this looks amazing. Like, I want to hire you. Why don't you come work for me? Why don't you drop out of school and come work for me? And I said, you know what? Let's do it. Um, because... This was maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity for me opportunity. to take advantage of this, right? Yeah. Because I always knew I could go back to school, but this opportunity might not be here forever. Right. So I committed, you know, cardinal sin number one of any Asian kid is to drop out of school, uh, which, you know, I never told my parents at that time. So <laughs> uh, I ended up working for this guy, Nick, and he kind of became my mentor. He showed me everything about business. Uh, he had a huge email list. He had a big website with like lots of content. So he was the first to show me the power of like an email list, content marketing, you know, having a voice, like writing. Uh, and I was learning so much working with him. So I ended up working there for about a little bit over a year. But then a year in, I also got a letter from the U.S. government um, that said, hey, Tan, uh, it seems like you arrived in the States with a student visa. However, you're not in currently enrolled in school right now. So your visa is not valid anymore. Uh, we're right. going to have to ask you to leave the country in 30 days. 
And I go, oh, snap. Um, all right, I guess I'm going to have to leave. So I had to leave my job. You know, I had to get rid of all my stuff. This is when I first discovered like forced minimalism, as I like to call it. It wasn't by right. choice. I had to become a minimalist. And so that was also kind of like the seed of the whole digital nomad thing uh, that we kind of talked about before we started recording. Right. And so um, I was forced to leave the, the country and I had no idea where to go. I knew I didn't want to go back to my parents because they didn't know I dropped out of school. They thought I was still in school. And so I was like, okay, I don't want to disappoint them or have them, you know, kill me. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had a friend who I met in San Francisco and he lived in Bangkok at that time. So I, he said, Hey, why don't you come stay in Bangkok for a little bit until you figure things out? And I said, okay, cool. Let's do that. So when I went over, I booked a ticket, you know, flew to Bangkok from LA and when I landed, I was like, wow, I've never been here. I have no idea where I am, but I'm going to be here for a little bit until I sort things out. So I had all this free time. And during the last few years, I was learning so much from reading books and going to seminars, learning from my mentor uh, that I said, you know what, maybe I should start a blog on productivity because I get a lot of questions from friends and family, how I get stuff done and how I do things and how I manage my to-do lists and stuff like that. Uh, because I used to be pretty disorganized, but after working with my mentor and working with lots of other people uh, at work, I was like becoming a lot more productive and I became more of the organized people in the company Right. that uh, people started looking up to me and say, Hey, Tan, how do you do all this stuff? And so I said, okay, let me just blog about it. And this is like 2010, 2011 when blogging started to take off. And so I said, you know, I'm just going to start a blog, share it once a week with my friends and families you know, and instead of typing the same email over and over and over again, I would just write a blog post and then say, Hey, go read this whenever I get the same yeah, question. Yeah. And so, uh, I did that for six to eight months, committed every single week, writing a post. And then, uh, because I knew a little bit about SEO, all the people started discovering my website. And so then all of a sudden, like I got thousands of people finding out about me because like the New York Times, like Lifehacker, Gizmodo, all these major sites started discovering me and linking to me and go, hey, you should go check out this website, asianefficiency.com. And then all of a sudden I had thousands of people like coming to me and say, hey, Tan, like, I love your material. I love your stuff. Uh, do you have any workshops? Do you have any coaching, consulting? And I go, no, no, this is all for free. This is just a passion project. You know, this is not a business at all. But I kept getting those emails and I said, oh man, maybe there's something here. Maybe this could be my business, like my, my income. And so right. I said, you know what? Screw it. Let's, let's go for it. So I launched my business. Um, and I said, you know what? This, I'm going to go all in. Right. So I was living in Thailand at the time, living, you know, living off my savings, trying to figure it out. And so I said, okay, let's, let's do this. So uh, I did some research. I knew that, you know, people needed help with sleep. And this, you know, again, 2011-ish when I started. And I knew sleep was really important for productivity. A lot of people was were kind, kind of aware about sleep. But like nowadays, I think we're a lot more conscious now about how important sleep is for our right. own health and productivity. But in 2011, we were a little too early for that. So long story short, I launched a course on how to sleep better. Because I know like better sleep leads to better productivity. Yeah. And I launched it. I had like maybe 5,000 people on my email list at this point. So I'm thinking, oh, if I do some math, I can maybe do like $10,000 or something that would kind of give me, you know, a vote of confidence to say, okay, this is probably going to be it. And then I launched it. And then in the first week, I think I sold like $200 and it was like a $20, you know, audiobook. And I go, oh my right. gosh, <laughs> no way I'm going to make a full-time living out of this. And so- I said, okay, what went wrong? Like, what can I do better? You know, what needs to change moving forward, right? And so I started talking to a few people. I asked my mentor as well, like, what do you think I did wrong? And he said, hey, you should go check out this book called Lean Startup. And I said, Lean Startup? I have no idea what this is. Uh, so the basic premise of Lean Startup is you have to work with your prospects and customers to build the product with them before you ever release it to the public. So that when you build it with them, you iterate it and you make it better every single time. So by the time you are finished and you have version one, when you release it, you know people want it and need it and will you know, buy it at the right price from you. And I said, oh, okay, that's interesting because when I did my research, I was researching the internet. I wasn't necessarily researching what my audience, my email subscribers, you know, my viewers were dealing with. 
So there was right. already you know, a classic rookie mistake, number one there. Um, and so I said, okay, let me interview all the people that follow my blog, you know, read my stuff. Uh, and so I ended up interviewing like 60 people in about two weeks. And what I discovered was mind blowing because as a, you know, early 20 year old kid, I was like, you know, sharing all this stuff. But most of the people that were reading my stuff were like 40 and 50 year olds, uh, men and women who have families and were very successful in corporate, which is the yeah. complete opposite because I was a young entrepreneur writing for other entrepreneurs, but it was actually resonating with an older crowd working in corporate Generation. America. And so I was like, oh, this is why my message is not resonating in our marketing because I'm writing very differently in marketing right. speak. And so I learned, okay, what are they dealing with? What are their struggles? What are their hopes and dreams? So I figured out that their struggles were mostly around to-do lists. Like how do you manage your to-do lists so you can actually get your stuff done? So working with them, I spent like six months working with them one-on-one, -on -one, you know, figuring out what they're struggling with, how I can help them. So I eventually created an online course on how to manage your to-do lists. And then that took off. And then when I launched it, you know, the first launch I did like $200. This launch, I did like 300,000 in one wow. week. And I was like, oh wow. snap, like now we have a business. Now we have something here. And then from right. there, it kind of right. like took off. Took off. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's just a crazy, crazy ride. And it was a lot of testing, experimentation, um, you know, learning as we're going. And so it was just, uh, if there's anything that anybody should take away, it's just in business, they always talk about know your customer or KYC in terms of banking, but also in business, if you want to create great products and services, you have to really know your customer. Like, who are they? What are they thinking about? What keeps them up at night? Like, what are they struggling with? Yeah, you know, what have they tried? What haven't they tried? You know, who are they listening to? Who are your quote unquote competitors that they're looking at? You know, you really have to get in their mind and really understand them. And once you can do that, you'll be able to easily create products and services or content even for them that, you know, resonates with them and helps them and, and you know, draws them in as well. Right, right. Well, I love all of that, you know, how you started from scratch with your parents and then you moved to LA and then basically, um, you know, you made those decisions to make it possible to, to get it, make any decision possible that would get you in, back into the States, living in the States. And, you know, 12 years old, you taught yourself how to code, like, wow, <laughs> that is incredible. And then, you know, you took that leap of faith, um, becoming an entrepreneur and like dropping out of school and stuff like that. And yeah, like rich dad, poor dad, you know, it talks about how, you know, we're all taught to go to school, get a job, get married, have a family, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And that's the, I guess our generations and generations before that's what they were. Well, maybe our parents' generation does that. And that's what everyone's parents and families kind of think that's what we should do to be secure. But then again, you don't have, much of freedom of, of life, really, you know, doing that traditional work life. And so taking that leap of faith and um, really going for it to become an entrepreneur and look how that's turned out for you. And would you say it took a lot of consistency and a lot of, you know, releasing that, that fear and taking lots of leap of faith just to get to where you are today kind of thing? Like, what I realized is I can't necessarily control the outcome of a lot of things. Like, I don't know if this launch will go well. I don't know if my business will take off. I don't know if I will get the next clients when I was, you know, with my uh, little web development agency. Um, but what I did know is what I could control and what I could influence. And so I knew that if I keep studying and learning about coding, I could teach myself how to master a new language and create apps and web web uh, apps. And if I kept developing free code that people could use, uh, I would give a lot of value to people, right? So I was always like learning very early on, like if you give a lot of value away, uh, you will naturally get value back. But you can't really control the time frame of that necessarily, right? But right. it does come back at some point. Like if I'm giving freely, I know I will receive as well. So that's something I've always been a big believer of. And so when I was 12 years old or 20 or 
where I'm today. Like I want to give as much value as possible because I know it will also be returned. And so right. when I was um, learning about, you know, business, um, I was giving value by, you know, when I showed up for that lunch, I said, Hey, Nick, uh, I know you're just starting YouTube. Like here's a, here's a report of all the things you can do to improve your YouTube. Like I showed up at that lunch, one, willing to pay for the lunch, <laughs> but also two, to have this report to help this person right out the gate. Right. right. And so that's a great way to not only build relationships, but also just like, I think way of navigating life. And so as I was trying to figure out how to learn with business and stuff, like I gave away all my content for free for like eight months to a year before I even turned it into a business. Right. So right. the one thing I think, uh, is, I wouldn't say a superpower, but one of the things I'm good at is I'm very good at being consistent. Like I might not always be super intense, but I will always be very consistent. So if I need to do a workout, like I might not be the person that does the most crazy intense workout where you're like almost like, you know, throwing up at the end. Uh, it, but I will be that person who will do that workout every single week if needed. Uh, I might not go right. at the same pace or at the same rate, but I will always do it every single week. It will and get so done. I, yeah, I, I will make sure it will get done, but also I'm believing in the long term and say, if I do this consistently, eventually I will get it, right? And that's right. why, for example, you know, when I watched an interview by Mr. Beast, like he showed how, you know, he was making videos since he was 12 years old and like eight years later, yeah, that's when he took off. It was like, a, you know, overnight success in many people's eyes, but it took like eight years of uploading YouTube videos every single week, you know, failing, experimenting before it took off. And I really resonate with that because that was me. Like I was just releasing content for free, not having any outcome that it would ever turn right. into a business, but I was just putting so much value out there that people recognized it and said, oh, this is really valuable. Like there's something more here. Uh, so if there's anything I would t take away from this part, I would say consistency is a really important aspect. And this is also true for podcasting. Like if you have a podcast, if you release content consistently, it will grow over time. And the relationships you build will just nurture and grow over time as well. And also people will discover you over time as well. But right. if you kind of like do one a week and then three another and then maybe zero for a few months and then come back for one more, um, that's that level of inconsistency doesn't allow you to grow your podcast or your listenership, but also people kind of forget about you as well. Nowadays, we have so much vying for our attention that if you're not being consistently showing up for your listeners and audience, they kind of forget about you, even if they really like you, because there's just so right. many things out there. There's so many you know, other so options out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, consistency is key. And I totally agree with you there. So tell me when, with the podcast, when did you start and what were your intentional actions behind it? So to be fair uh, and honest, I actually was never a fan of starting a podcast. Um, okay. And this is a really funny story. So I had two employees yeah, tell us. Who, who were big uh, podcast listeners. Like they loved listening to other podcasts. And this is like 2014 or so. Uh, this is when podcasts kind of started to take off a little bit. Um, but I was never a big fan of podcasts because I'm a very data-driven person. Like I like to make decisions with data and numbers. And as you know, podcasts, even today, podcast data is very limited. It's very hard to see like who's listening. Uh, it, you know, you can kind of see your download numbers, but you don't really see much more like where they drop off and stuff like that. Like it's getting better every single year, but in 2014, there was like not, it was non-existent really. Like all you could see is like number of downloads and that's it. Yeah, you know, maybe the country where they're from. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of information about how it impacts sales, how it impacts you know, your, uh, your bottom line, essentially, because uh, it's easy to produce and it will cost you something, but it's very hard right. to measure the marketing ROI, uh, you know, return on investment on it. So I said, you know what, uh, I like the podcast idea, but I just don't see the ROI in this. And so uh, my employees kept bugging me about it. And, you know, part of a good employer is keeping your people happy and making sure that they stay motivated, right? And so I kind of got the sense that if I didn't do this, they will either leave me at some point and then do it, or, you know, uh, they will be disgruntled and there's not, they're not going to enjoy their work as much and said, right, right. you know what? Um, so one quarter I said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's launch it, a podcast. It's going to be a, a minor priority. So it's not going to be one of our top priorities, but it'll be a minor priority. I want you guys to launch it. I'm happy to contribute financially 
and also my own time and voice. Uh, but I want you guys to take the lead. So Zach and Mike took the lead and they were super excited. You know, just that finally, you know, you're listening to us like this is going to be a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And so we finally launched our podcast in January of 2016. And, you know, we released a bunch of episodes at the beginning. You kind of do your typical launch where you have like, you know, five episodes ready right out the gate. You know, you want to get as many downloads, you know, as possible, get those reviews up and that kind of thing. So we did that. And then we showed up at the front page of Apple Podcasts, right? And so we saw our numbers like go up and up and up. Uh, now, one of the advantages we had was we had an email list already with subscribers. So by, right. the, we, by the time we launched it, we would you know, email our audience and say, Hey, we just launched a podcast, go check it out today, you know, to kind of build that velocity. So that was an advantage we had. Uh, but also when we came on the front page of Apple, it kind of boosts our numbers as well. Right. And right. so, um, in the first year I said, you know what, let's not monetize it. Let's, uh, I want to keep it very clean. And if there's any way we will monetize it, it will be by me mentioning our product names or courses and stuff. Right. Now the problem is again, the data is very difficult to track in terms of how much impact the podcast makes on your bottom line. So after the first year, even though we were getting a lot of download numbers, like we we're getting like a hundred thousand download numbers a month or so, I was like, what does this lead to? Like, I don't see a significant increase in sales. Like I, I can't measure this somehow. Like, why are we doing this? It's costing me a few thousand dollars a month to do this. A bunch of right. your time, my time, like, why are we even doing this? Right. So then I said, oh, you know, if we don't figure this out, I'm actually killed a podcast because it's, yeah. it's, it's taking up a lot of time and focus. And so um, at one point we had to make a decision and say, hey guys, like either we will monetize it now because I can't measure the ROI on this uh, or we will kill it because I just think we can spend our time and energy on other things that are maybe more productive use of our time more and money. Revenue. Mm -hmm. And so I said, if we're going to do the podcast, it has to be sustainable by itself. So if we do ad revenue, it has to be to such a degree that it would support itself. It would pay for your time, my time, you know, all the costs and make some profit as well. It has to be a profit right. center as people would call it. Right. And so we said, okay, let's do it. So we ended up getting advertisers to come in and uh, we had, you know, a pretty decent CPM. And so from there, it became like a very profitable uh, line in our company to say, oh, Actually, the podcast has great content, uh, but also it it's generating profit as well, like not just revenue, but actually profit. And so that's when I said, "Oh, okay, this is actually interesting." And it didn't seem like that affects the you know the the listenership at all. Like having ads in there made no difference in terms of the listenership. And so I said, "Huh, uh, this is interesting." Now we have sustainable podcasts as well, and we can reinvest some of that profits into back into the podcast somehow, right? And so from there, I was like, man, three years later, you know, I said, this is, you know, 2019. I said, man, I wish I started two years earlier when we first talked about it, because imagine where my podcast would be today. If we started two years early, we would have such a huge, you know, advantage over others and such. And right. You know, um, so if you're listening right now, it's still not too late. You can still start no. a podcast. I listen to podcasts nowadays that are started in the last year, year and a half as well. Like it's not too late to start one. Absolutely not. And, you know, I think honestly, any entrepreneur or business owner should be having a podcast. And um, a lot of people are just scared of that, that leap of faith. You know, they've never done it before. What if they don't get listeners, this and that, you know, and I, I also, a lot of people are afraid of, oh, okay, what if it's not perfect? Or I don't sound good on that or I messed this up. It's like, you kind of just got to do it. And nobody, like nobody cares about mistakes. We know nobody's perfect on it. And I feel like I know one thing that held a few of the people that I interviewed back was, you know, putting up episodes and stuff like that because they weren't perfect. When that kind of leads to procrastination, right? Because then you don't get it out there because you want it to be perfect. But like, I, th I think the least perfect um you're willing to be, then like people see that you're real, you're human, you're learning, you know, and I just think it's more real. So absolutely agree with you. It's not too late and just do it. Just start. Yeah. I always find it so entertaining when I watch, for example, YouTubers that are really yeah. big right now. If you go to their channel on your desktop and you sort the videos by oldest first, 
and you watch some of their early videos, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so cringy. This is so bad, right? Like, I can't believe they did this, but that's how they started. And if you compare those old videos to where they are today, you go, wow, that's a world of difference. But it took them like multiple videos, multiple iterations to get there. And the same right. thing is true with podcasting. Like if I listen to my some of my oldest episodes, I cringe so hard when I hear my own voice and how I speak and what I say and how I did things compared to what I do today. And that's just an evolution. Just like anybody who's a good writer, if you looked at their early writing, you'll see there's a noticeable difference in quality and thought that everyone just has to go through, whether it's writing, podcasting, video, speaking on stage, like we all have to start somewhere. So don't worry about perfectionism as much. And the good thing is in the beginning, most people don't care. Most people don't listen to you anyway. There's not a big audience yet. So it's the perfect time to screw up when nobody's listening anyway, but you're going to get the reps in. And as you do them more often, you'll get better at it. You'll hear like, oh, I'm going to say ums here, or you have some filler words here and there. You go, hmm, uh, maybe I should, you know, especially when you start editing your own podcast, you notice that very quickly. Right. So, oh, I say this word quite often or say um quite often. And then as you edit that out, you go, huh, maybe I can work on that next time and say, instead of saying, um, I'll just take a big old pause before I say something and then go, oh, now my speech pattern is becoming a lot more smoother. And like that will translate into how you speak on stage as well and other areas of your life. So uh, everyone starts from somewhere. Don't worry about, you know, messing up in the beginning. Everyone does it. It's just a natural part of learning. So another way of thinking about this, like the faster you feel at this, the faster you'll actually progress. And that's how there I we like go. to think about it too. Yeah. Fail. You're going to only fail forward. And one thing that I, like you mentioned the the words when, you know, I really don't like re-listening to my podcast as you know, they're a little bit newer and stuff. And I noticed that one word I always say is right. 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 So like, as I keep continuing with the podcasting, that is something I really have to work on taking out. Um, but I find like, we really don't notice until you go back and look, but it only helps you become better, you know, honestly. Yeah. And this is just a matter of time and reps. So anybody can do this. Like I had no natural voice for podcasting. I had to learn this as well. Uh, I'm also not a natural writer. I had to learn that as well. I also don't have a knack for being on video. I have to learn that as well. Like these are all things I had to learn. Uh, I'm a very good thinker, not so much a great writer or speaker or being on video. I'm a, I think I'm a above average thinker, but I had to pick up those skills. And those are the skills I needed to learn to grow my business. And uh, I wouldn't say that I necessarily like, would say that I'm enjoying it. It's like one of my passions or anything. But I got so good at it because I speak very often. I did a lot of reps that as you get better at it, you actually start to enjoy it a little bit more as well. So in the beginning, it can be feel it can feel a little tough, uh, but also I think everyone has their own medium at the beginning. Like you kind of got to figure like, you know, are you a podcaster? Are you a person on video? Are you more of a writer? Like everyone has kind of like their own thing, just like some people prefer listening to an audiobook over reading. Like we all have our own little tendencies. But if you're listening to this and you think, oh, you know, I think I have a knack for podcasting, just go do it. Just put it in the reps. Absolutely. The more you do, the better. And the quicker you get it out there, the quicker you become better, like you said. So love all of that. So tell me now, how does the podcast uh, directly affect your business? I know we, yeah, so the way, we can touch on the that way a bit we, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. So the way we do that is multiple folds. One is um, we mention our own products and services throughout the podcast, okay. right? So yeah, uh, it's not like we have an ad slot for our products and services, but it will be very kind of like advertorial. And what I mean with that is I might say, hey, let's talk about to-do list apps today, right? And we're going to give five of our recommendations or something. And I would then say, oh, you know, we actually have a course also on how to manage your to-do list. Uh, you can check it out here at thisurl.com. Uh, and also, I want to make sure you listen and check out this episode on this podcast. So it's very natural, right? So like, I'm kind of like slipping it in, but I'm not having like a big call to action. So I'm always mentioning our podcast episodes, but also our products, courses, workshops that we have just to add, because I'm the way I'm thinking about it, it's like I'm adding value to people right. by mentioning those things, right? So like it's up to them okay. if they want to take action on it. I'm not 
selling or marketing it. I'm just like adding value to say, hey, if you want to dive deeper, here's some resources for you to check out. And that's up to you if you want to take action on that, right? So that's one thing. Uh, that's harder to measure, but it's something I know will make an impact. Yeah. Uh, the other way is through sponsorships. So we do have advertisers who will come on the podcast uh, and I will usually do the read or my co-host Brooks Duncan will do the read. And so we have like um, multiple sponsors for every single episode. So ep typical episode is anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes. And usually we have like two sponsors per episode. That's kind of the sweet okay. spot we found um, where the content to like ad ratio, if you may call it, is still like very high, like almost like 95% content, you know, 5% ads. But then we also negotiate a CPM so that we can feel like it's worth the time. But also uh, we want to work with sponsors that we believe in as well. So we will always personally vet them, do our own research, make sure that we actually like the product and service ourselves as well. So oftentimes it takes a little bit of time for sponsors to get on because, for example, if, you know, if they want to ship us some stuff, I would have to get it first, experiment with it, check it out, and then see like, okay, do I actually want to sponsor this? And if I do, great, let's move ahead. But if I don't, then I would let our agency know as well because we have a podcast agency that we work with that sources kind of like our deals. Uh, okay, that, uh, yeah. I, I go, you know what? This is not for us. Uh, thank you for you know trying to make this happen, but this I just don't think this is a fit because I have to believe in it, and if I don't believe in it, I can't you know give it to my audience because that would feel authentic to me. So yeah, that's yeah. the second one. And then the third one is we have a kind of like a premium version of the podcast where you can get episodes a week earlier. You can actually be with us on the live stream. You can uh, get additional bonus content and you get a private RSS feed. So you get the episodes ad free as well. So you can get all of this stuff. And we use this uh, platform called Supercast. With okay. us. So you, you can actually pay like, let's say a hundred bucks a year and get all of our stuff you know, a week earlier, ad free and that kind of stuff. Plus you get a t-shirt if you sign up, some extra bonus content uh, and your private you know, link. So we have like a subscription that. program for, for our podcast. I like it. I like it. That's awesome. Now with the podcast, you just basically do solos. Um, and do you do any interviews? So I have a co-host, Brooks. Um, so we usually do either a podcast together. So he and I will kind of okay. dissect the topic and then sometimes we'll have guests so okay. we have like a weekly episode so like four episodes a month uh typically i would say it's half and half so like two internal two with other people or guests and it's usually one of us interviewing even interviewing them so it's not both of us one or the other i guess it's one or the other so that's depending who connected with that person first um right and that's kind of like how and we do it I like that. I like that. That's awesome because they're still getting on the, you know, you still do content where, you know, you, you share valuable stuff with everyone and then you bring on guests as well who can do that too. But with the guests, how do you go about attracting these people to come onto the show? Do they reach out to you or do you, I mean, are there referrals or do you go on Facebook and do, you know, find a guest, be a guest or be a guest, find a guest kind of thing? Yeah, great question. So uh, this is one of the benefits of living in a great city like Austin, Texas. Like this is a yeah. hotbed for like interesting people. So I right. will actually meet a lot of people around town that I want to interview at some point. And then from there, I always prefer warm introductions. And what I mean with that is like, if I know somebody here and I know that person knows that person I want to interview, I would ask them like, hey, could you introduce me to that person? Because I would love to interview them. And as long as they're willing to do that, then oftentimes I will get that other person to be on the podcast, uh, assuming our okay. schedule allows for it. And so um, I spend a lot of time in Austin, like kind of like building my network and getting to know a lot of people. Um, and then I'm starting to do it online as well in different communities. So that's, um, it kind of goes back and forth. And what I mean with that is like, if you meet somebody online, you want to meet them in person, Right. Yeah. And also if you're meeting in person, you have an online connection too. oftentimes through LinkedIn or something or like, yeah. you know, uh, Facebook or whatever. And so I will try to utilize both to find guests. And so I'm usually actually trying to find the guests myself. Uh, it's not oftentimes that people will pitch and then come on uh, unless you're like a really big name. And I go, oh, I've always wanted you, but I didn't think it would be possible or I didn't think we would have a mutual connection. Um, or if someone will come in through a referral. So if I know somebody and they say, hey, Tan, 
uh, you should interview this person I can introduce you to, uh, then I'll be like, okay, great. I, I'm happy to do that as well. So that's kind of how I source people uh, in terms of guests, because I know what my listeners want. It goes back to the whole KYC, know your customer. I yeah. know what they're yeah. wanting, what they're listening to. Um, I spend like five, seven hours a week, like interviewing clients and prospects, like just talking to them and catching up with them. So I always have a kind of a sense of like, what's going on, what, what they're listening to, what they're dealing with. And then that sparks a lot of ideas of like content topics, but also like, who should I interview that can maybe fill in the gap that I don't know anything about, right? There's a lot of experts out there that have specialized knowledge that I don't simply have, but if I can bring them on, that would be a huge value to my listeners. And so then I can kind of tap into my network and say, you know, I might post on my Facebook or something and say, hey, I'm looking for somebody who's a sleep expert. Who do you know is a sleep expert? It could be a person that you personally know, or maybe it's someone you saw on a podcast that was presented as a sleep expert and you think, you know, they should be on, be on my show. So then I kind of get a curated list of things and I go, okay, let me figure out from here, like how to contact this person. And so right. yeah, I'm trying to be very intentional essentially about it. Yeah. And it's, you know, you want that quality person to come on there. That's going to value, value your listeners the most. Right. So, um, I like the way you have it going on. Thank you. So with the people who come on as guests, do they often join as clients afterwards in a program or anything like that? How does that work? Or in the courses? No, I would say that's not very common at all. Um, Oftentimes the guests will just be there as subject matter experts. And so they're just sharing. Right. Uh, Oftentimes what will happen is once they have been on the podcast, like if they ever come to Austin, I would always tell them like, hey, if you do let me know and I want to host you and just show you around town. And maybe oh, we'll, like we'll go out for dinner or something, you know, something like that. Because Austin is kind of like a hotbed to keep mm-hmm, that connection. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they're going from keep like online rolling. to offline and actually being real people with each other. Present. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's something I always like to do. Um, also, if we happen to run into each other at the same conference or something, that's another great way. Or we know that we're going to be at the same conference or event. That's a great way to kind of like reconnect as well and say, hey, um, how do we, you know, get together and catch up and stuff. And then. Usually what happens is, and I'm sure you've seen this too, is like when you have two podcasters or two people who do podcasting, they know a lot of guests. So you're kind of like swapping guests almost and going, hey, yes, I recently interviewed this person. You should definitely have him or her on and vice versa. So it's like when we can get together and swap ideas and, and guests, uh, that's always uh, valuable too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, Tan, what is your biggest focus and desire with the podcast um, this year? Before the year's end, I guess. Yeah. You know, one thing I found with the podcast is distribution is very challenging with the podcast. And what I mean with that Mm -hmm. is how do people find out about your podcast? How do they find out about what you have to share? And yes, people will search in in podcast apps, right? For topics or in Apple podcasts or iTunes, uh, sometimes on the web as well. But generally, it's very difficult to be discovered. So you have to be very intentional and kind of strategic about how you distribute your content. So one thing we're focusing on more is like, uh, I'm sure you've seen this is turning, let's say an hour long podcast in like three to four minute clips that you then post on like social media, on YouTube, you know, post them as shorts and and reels and that kind of stuff. uh, So that people can kind of get a glimpse of what your podcast is about and the snippets of content without listening to the whole thing. So that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. It's like, we want to take our podcast that we do every week, but just spread it out to more people and, and maybe with smaller bits and pieces that people can consume. Um, because that's something I start to notice I do myself is I don't listen to a lot of full length episodes, but I will listen to like three to five minute segments of a podcast to kind right. of get the gist no, of and it. I, and so, I honestly think a lot of people do that as well. You know, you're, you're totally right on that. Um, just getting those snippets in. So I, 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 I think that that's really relatable with people listening today, even, you know, so, so that's one of the focuses for you. Yeah, that's one of them. And that's, I would say probably the primary. So we're kind of building out our team and, and infrastructure to kind of do it consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, we just start like literally doing this like two months ago. So it's pretty new. 
And we have like, you know, over 400 episodes in the backlog. So I kind of want to go back into some of more popular episodes and turn those into like little snippets and pieces as well, because I know those were really popular. So I kind of want to put that out there as well. So we, this will probably take like a whole year to go through, you know, so that's kind of like our big focus, but hopefully that will get us more viewers, listeners over time, uh, potential clients as well, and just bigger impacts all overall uh, too. Absolutely. Well, I don't, I don't think that's a bad plan at all. And, um, you know, uh, there's so many different things that you can do. And uh, just as long as you know what your focus and your desire is, it'll happen, right? So, uh, and it, just like everything else has happened and worked out for you, which is amazing with your story and everything. So it's incredible. Uh, thank you. What would you, yeah, of course. What would you say, like, I know we kind of touched on some of the challenges within the, the, the podcast, but what are some more challenges that you have faced, like with the podcast and how it affects your business? Or would you say just at the very beginning, you know, when you had a lot of downloads, but you didn't have much of the profit coming in? Was that just one of the biggest challenges or what any other ones? Yeah, I, I would find that, you know, tracking just like how do you associate revenue with podcasts, I think was the bigger one. Um, yeah. The other thing is like figuring out your format. Like I had to figure out what was the format going to be? Is it an interview? Is it like two people talking? Um, the other thing is like, what's the ideal length? You know, do we like go 20 minutes, an hour, hour and a half? Like what do people actually want? Right. So you kind of have to experiment quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and what, what really works. helped me was once I had the podcast going, I would invite people who were listening to do a free coaching call with me. So for a while I offered a free coaching call. Okay. And so part of it was like me to offer value to the listener, but also for me to be able to answer, have them answer a few questions at the end and go, Hey, why do you listen to the podcast? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What do you wish we did differently? Like I would kind of give them like a quick little survey. Um, and I would also send in a survey to our email subscribers. And so I would, the, the thing that podcast is missing is that feedback loop because you're putting content out there, but you're not knowing exactly what's coming back or what people are perceiving or how they are receiving it. So that's something I was always trying to figure out. Like, how do we make sure like this topic today really resonate with people? Like, can we get them to rate us somehow? You know, like podcast reviews go only so far, um, but how can we actually get that feedback? And so we just kind of made it a thing to interview listeners every quarter um, to kind of get a sense of like what they're wanting and needing. And also, uh, you know, is this the right format? Like, do you guys want shorter lengths? Do you guys want longer lengths? Like, what do you guys like? I'm happy to give it to you guys. I just want to make sure I know what it is that you want so I can give it to you because I can be flexible, I you know? Absolutely. Just knowing what exactly they're wanting to see and stuff like that and how long and, and what they're interested in. That's important. And I totally think that it's also relatable the fact that it's hard to figure out that format and um, the tracking and everything like that. So definitely can be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. And this is one uh, actually really big insight I can share. Um, yeah, is, please. Even though this is very hard to track. Um, I think I mentioned to you, like I talked to like people like five to seven hours a week, kind of get a sense of where our customers at. And one thing I've discovered is, if you have some sort of subscription program, like for example, we have a monthly membership or an annual membership. Uh, one thing we found is like, if you have a podcast and they're listening to it, it will actually increase your retention rate of your subscribers, even oh. though the podcast is not part of your subscription program. Okay. And it sounds so funny, but uh, what we found is, you know, if they have a membership and they listen to the podcast, they almost kind of like associate the podcast with your membership that they're paying for, even though they're not paying for it whatsoever. But because they're listening to you all the time, they're kind of in tune with your message and they see you or hear from you on a regular basis. Even if they don't engage with your subscription program or members area that you have, they still find, find it valuable because in some shape, they're, they are paying for it when in fact it's actually free. So it's a really yeah. interesting insight that we've had. So if you have a membership program or subscription, uh, and you don't have a podcast yet, introducing a podcast and getting your members to listen to it will also increase your retention rate. So that's something uh, I think is a huge uh, insight that I want to share with people here too. 
Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that for the listeners. Cause I know that a lot wouldn't have known that and it's, it's interesting, right? So. Yeah. That's uh, one of the major things I've discovered. Uh, and again, this goes back to the feedback loop of just like, we need to talk to people. We need to talk to our listeners. Right. And just right? really get See a what sense they need. of the pulse. Yeah. Love it. Well, Tam, thank you so much for making the time to come on today. And you honestly have your story. I mean, all the valuable stuff that you were sharing with the people listening and with myself, really much appreciate it. And, um, you know, if anyone's looking to connect with you and uh, see what you got going on, listen to your podcast, you know, maybe join uh, one of your courses, what would be the best way about going ahead and uh, connecting? Yeah, the website, asianefficiency.com, one word, asianefficiency.com. I have over 500 articles I've written on there over the years. So you can check out tons of free resources. Um, we have online courses there as well. Um, if you're l- listening to a podcast and you enjoy podcasts, then we also have a podcast called The Productivity Show. So you can go to theproductivityshow.com or just search it anywhere in your app and you'll find us there as well. We have weekly episodes on productivity tips and strategies to help you become more productive at work and in life using our methodology. So uh, these are great free resources. I want to make sure everyone gets access to them and, and go check it out. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tan, again, for coming on. You guys go check him out. He's got a lot going on, which is incredibly helpful and um, resourceful for you guys. So thanks again, Tan. And it's an absolute pleasure having you on. You're welcome. Awesome. Group, if you're listening and enjoyed, please like and subscribe. If you're a six-figure or seven-figure entrepreneur and like to come on just like Tan did today for an interview, please go to top100interviews.com and fill out the application. We'd love to have you on as well. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Hey everyone, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com and then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.